It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. So we're at the uh, Las Vegas Convention Center for MJ BizCon. I'm here with Ross Kirch of Dimapack. Ross, thanks for being with us on The Talking Hedge. Thank you for having me. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah. So Ross, you're with Dimapack. Tell me a little bit about what Dimapack is, kind of how you got into the game, all that good stuff. So I used to supply packaging to dispensary owners in Colorado, and one of the dispensary owners who owned one of the first dispensaries in Denver um, came to me in 2013 once Colorado released their regulations for recreational use, and he said, can you invent a child-resistant bag for me? Um, Essentially, all the regulations required reclosable child-resistant packaging, and some of the products in the market, like brownies, etc., didn't fit in pharmaceutical vials, which was the only option at the time. So you can't put a square brownie in a round vial, essentially. Um, so from there, I left, I ran to China. I lived there for three years, uh, many, many years ago. I left for China, spent about two months there, developed a product, got it to market by January 1st. So our bag was using the first sale in history of recreational cannabis. Um, And from there, we've really just snowballed using our reputation, what we've done building with our customers as they've built their businesses and scaled them up. We've worked alongside of them. So we've had some phenomenal relationships for a long, long time in this business. The industry's kind of adapted and changed and had uh, their own concerns, if you will. In the very beginning, it was about smell. Nobody wanted to smell it. You know, people that live next to the farms, didn't, you know, they didn't want it. The NIMBYs, not in my backyard community. Mm-hmm. So that's been a thing for a long time. Did you try to develop a bag that, that was smell resistant or was it just about uh, child resistant packaging? Because there were some issues that kids could get high or the dogs were going to eat the packaging because in the very beginning, it wasn't a mature market and it looked just like the Reese's or you know, those brands were knocking off and they've since mm-hmm. been sued and they can't. So how has that adaptation flowed through your business? How have you flowed for as long as you've been in the game? It's funny you ask that. So how this business started was with smell-proof bags for dispensary owners. Um, we had a retail brand called Stink Sack, which we brought out in 2009. And dispensary owners contacted us to make one-pound versions. We had been making smaller bags just for the personal use market. I'm epileptic, so I'm a patient. I was living in New York City. Um, there, was, there was no good solution to keep the smell completely trapped, so that's how I originally got involved with the industry. Um, and as things have progressed, I absolutely think that there's more of a demand for more professional products to keep kids safe. I'm, the reality is, as this uh, expands, as recreational medical use expands, just sheer populations, more people are exposed to it. And we have to do what we can to keep kids safe because ultimately it's in the parents' hands. And we develop great products that are easy to use, but everybody basically has to work together to be responsible. People who are packaging it have to be responsible. You know, Don't go out and use packaging that you know could be iffy. Use something that you know is child resistant. Parents have to do their part by actually using it, not just leaving it out and open. So it's, a, it's really an effort by everybody to get this not just legalized, but really take away the stigma of you know having kids and being around it, being worried. As long as it's safe, it's locked away. You know, It's no worse than having tied around the house. 
when you're out in, in the market uh, and you're engaging with clients, do you see a, a consumer behavioral difference between East Coast, West Coast, new market, old market? Oh, absolutely, especially because of the regulations. Um, so in terms of the products that they primarily sell, there are differences in what sells the best on the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, but a lot of that is regulation-based because if you can only sell individual pre-rolls versus states where you can sell multiple pre-rolls in one pack, it changes the buying pattern of consumers. So I know in the, in the states that I've been a medical patient, they're not allowed to sell uh, multiple pre-rolls. Um, but other states where they, where they can, you know, they sell a pack of it. The convenience of that, I think, would lead more sales to be there. So I think on the West Coast, where they have far more developed products, they're much more into, um, I would say, not just pre-rolls, but really extracts and oil side of the market, whereas the East Coast is really still, let's say, a little far behind on the trend line in terms of their more flower-based stuff. That would probably be the easiest way to there's a lot of regulations, obviously, in some markets like Oregon, uh, Colorado, Nevada, they require an exit bag, mm -hmm. uh, child resistance. Um, where do you see the industry going? Like if you had a crystal ball and you could see regulators coming up with good, bad and, and the ugly, uh, what are you anticipating regulators? Is it going to be relaxing the rules? Is it going to be strengthening, unifying? Like where are we going? I think that in certain ways the rules are going to be strengthened. I think there's just going to be more demand for uh, track and traceability, especially as computers have the ability to track and trace it more, the packaging has to adapt for that. Um, I think that that's going to be a huge development. The other part which we've already started to see take effect is actually um, the environmental impact of the packaging. This is something that's become increasingly important, especially because of um, let's say sometimes the onerous packaging requirements on producers and processors, there ends up being so much waste. And so for instance, uh, recently the government in Quebec and Canada um, issued a memorandum that they're going to start actually evaluating the packaging being used to see if it uses post-consumer materials. And that's something that I think is going to become more and more pre prevalent. I think it's an issue people really care about. They see it's a problem. And I really think that that's the way it's going to go. It's not going to be looser or, or stricter because they're relying on the Consumer Product Safety Commission for that. I think they're going to look more at the impact of it um, and how it's being used. So as you said, the illustrations, things like that, getting away from all the cartoon stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the form factor itself is going to play a more and more important role in regulations. Branding is important. I, I, it's my opinion that it's it's more about the high THC and, and low price point more than branding. But branding is important, and I think Apple really kind of came hard with their their experience. So you're not just getting this cell phone; you're opening it up, and you have this custom box, and everything is fit in there. And they changed the game on packaging. Oh yeah. But there's a lot of waste. At least a lot of their stuff is uh, like cardboard. The plastics and the non-biodegradable uh, is an issue. We have a lot of dupe tubes, uh, a lot of pre-rolls that are sold, and a lot of that going into the landfills. What um, do you have in mind for the industry? How can we be more environmentally friendly? Is there any goals that you have to implement any of those steps? Good question. Um, 
So personally speaking, obviously, as you said, plastic it has uh, a reputation for being one of the biggest uh, contributors to polluting, especially in the oceans. Um, and from our perspective, it also provides tremendous advantages. So we didn't want to necessarily say plastic is bad, but how do we do it better, to your point? So we looked at and we developed recyclable bags. We brought the first recyclable uh, bags to market. Um, we even developed bags recently made with post-consumer resin. And for us, that was really where our focus headed, which was addressing the actual issue of pollution. So recyclable products are really good. They're great in that you know that it's not going to make things worse. But right now, the amount of pollution that's out there, that's what really needs to be addressed. That's what people are upset about for good reason. So what we did is we actually partnered with an organization where we contribute um, a portion of our proceeds and that goes towards the collection of plastic from the ocean. So they contract with local uh, workers on the ground in third world countries predominantly and they set up a collection facility where the people bring in uh, containers and they'll pay them money for it. They could even help them set up bank accounts. So from our perspective, addressing the actual issues started to become our focus, uh, the issue of plastics. And so now we're starting to really push for post-consumer resin. That's becoming um, a bigger trend, but there's a tremendous scarcity of material out there. So as demand really uh, starts to push in that direction, you'll see the supply start to match it. Kind of like nobody sold masks last year or two years ago and now everybody's in the mask business or whatever. So when, you know, when there really is a lot of demand, I think that it'll drive the change on the back end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot of demand with new markets that people need packaging. Uh, they need to have compliance and, and child resistance. So for people that are looking for um, you know, what you have, where can they get a hold of you at? Where are you at on social media, website, or otherwise? Well, they could always visit our website, diamondpack.com. That's where we encourage everybody to get in touch with us. For us, we're not as much into social media because we're really backing the brands that are driving social media. So we're the, the backbone for these companies when they want to get their product out the door to dispensaries or for dispensaries themselves to get the product out. So we don't push our brand on social media as much as our customers promote their brand. And that's our job is to back them. Okay. Well, we'll put uh, Diamond Pack uh, website in the description, in the show notes, okay, cool. so check that out. Yeah. Uh, with that, I think we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my cool. guest, Ross Kirch. He's with Diamond Pack. Ross, thanks for being with us at The Talking Appreciate Hedge. It. Appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.